Thank you for joining AI Nerd, AI with Attitude. Today I am with Chip Wagner, the amazing Chip Wagner. Chip, how are you today? I'm good, Thomas. How are you, bud? I, I, I could complain, but I'm not going to. It doesn't do any good. So. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, I appreciate you joining today. Uh, I want to talk to you about uh, intelligent automation, and, and you have an incredible background, and I think you know, every time I've had a conversation with you, it, I learned something about intelligent automation, and I've been in the space for a, a number of years. Uh, maybe for those who don't know you, you're going to watch this, you know, the four or five people that will watch this. Um, if you could give a background <laughs> uh, of you and, and ISG automation and, uh, you know, you know, take the floor a bit and, and, and let us know who you are. Sure. Well, I guess if I work backwards, um, let's do it that way. ISG automation is, is an operating business inside of ISG. Um, ISG is Information Services Group and uh, a, a business traded on the NASDAQ. Um, and we found our way to ISG by selling the former company, Allsbridge, where I was the CEO, uh, roughly four years ago, actually December 1st, uh, coming up here, will be our fourth anniversary as a member of the ISG family. Uh, the automation business is one of many service lines. Um, it's actually uh, the, probably the fastest growing service line in the four years that we've been a part of ISG. And not surprisingly, because really what was RPA, what's now intelligent automation, uh, was the fastest growing part of Allsbridge from the day that we started it, which was five, five and a half years ago. Um, and it's been just an absolutely amazing journey. Um, and, and we really look forward to the future as much as we do the incredible last five years. That's great. And, and ISG Automation has become uh, one of the most successful service implementers and, and resellers, that's a fair way to say it, of RPA tools specifically. Uh, and I think that's fair to say. Um, and, but may, you know, one thing I think it's always confusing is the difference between RPA, that lovely acronym, and intelligent automation. So just from your point of view, can you lay out what the difference is between the two? Absolutely. Well, you know, I've always loved the, the, uh, the acronym RPA to begin with, right? So the first thing I've had to explain to many people, whether it's friends, family, business colleagues, prospects, clients, uh, they say, okay, RPA, robotic process automation, where's the robot? <laughs> Everyone wants to know where's the robot. So I, I don't know who we blame. I, I, I think Blue Prism wants to be blamed, but I'm not exactly sure who should be blamed for the moniker RPA. Um, but anyway, it's a software agent, as we all know. And, you know, I think of the whole RPA thing and really from the beginning, we thought of it as a continuum, right? RPA is like the foundation of a large skyscraper. It's, it's dug deep in the earth and it just, it's, it centers this entire building. And then as you start to go up the skyscraper and build the various floors, we get into things like, uh, this is acronym, uh, um, soup here, right? Intelligent character recognition optical character recognition, natural language processing, machine language, natural language generation, conversational AI, chatbots, and, the, and it goes on and on into other cognitive tools and then ultimately into artificial intelligence. And then at the top floor of the building as we know it today is the Watson and Watson lookalikes, whether it's one of the homes, dry ice, whatever tools you want to think about that perhaps have not yet met their hype. They haven't caught up to their hype. Uh, maybe they will, maybe they won't. Uh, but really, intelligent automation is a continuum of disruptive technologies that when taken together uh, can create just incredible business impact for clients. Um, speed, regulation, cost, time, uh, accuracy, uh, auditability, every, everything that you would think of in sort of a nirvana situation around technology 
in some form or fashion, RPA and its other brother and sister intelligent automation technologies largely offer the chance, if done right, big if, uh, to, to deliver that. I was always disappointed it never could file my expenses weekly for me. That was where I just, I faded out. But Actually, I think it could, uh, <laughs> if, if you would, but remember structured data, right? So if you give it the structured data, the pictures or the scans of your expenses, mm -hmm. I think it, you, you could write a bot to do it. Even you, Thomas, could write a bot to do that. I'm going to try it. I, uh, I have no free time, so I should be, I should be, well, you know, it's very easy to use. We'll cover that in a little bit, uh, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> anybody can do it that was the claim and i look oh, forward sure. we'll, we'll dive into that one in a little bit all right okay but you know state of the market right so we have you know this this launch let's let's say roughly seven eight years ago uh really took really has taken off in the last five um and in particular the last three COVID hits what's what's the, what's going on with these rpa companies the service companies what's your take on on, on this well, I mean, the, the, the COVID virus has done lots of things to lots of people. If we, if we stay away from the airlines and the hotels and some of the other people that have been really decimated restaurants, I mean, it's been unbelievably brutal. Uh, if we look at the RPA software players, right? So let's talk about Automation Anywhere, Blue Prism, Nice, UiPath. Uh, the thing about that software is if you already have it, you have a license agreement of some kind, the license agreement will come to an end and you have two choices. I'm going to renew or I'm not going to renew. If you renew, the software keeps working and you have to pay something for a renewal generally. If you don't renew, the software stops working. So if you think about the renewal stream of revenue for the, for the providers in RPA, that's been largely unaffected by COVID-19. And that's because people rarely decommission the bots once they get started. Talk about new bot sales, new, uh, uh, new software sales. People are embracing automation even more so with working at home being more prominent and it's no i mean really especially you think about the call center type business and and uh, and, and agents right uh client service agents and so forth service desk personnel what what an opportunity to automate when, when we've just suddenly sent everyone home to make the job easier and to take away variability imagine how much variability there is when instead of having a thousand agents coming into a building we now have a thousand people working from home. Imagine all that variability, which probably doesn't lead to a good client experience. Uh, when I think about the services side, you know, we're, we're looking to talk to new clients. We're looking to bring new people into the fold to start them on a journey. Much harder to do when you're trying to establish a services relationship in the midst of COVID. When you really can't travel, the best you can do is something kind of like what we're doing here with, uh, you know, this amazing video conference capability, which many people were scared of, frankly. A year ago, they didn't do it very often. It wasn't great. It was okay. Unified communication was something most people didn't understand. But my gosh, we're all like, you know, rather conversant now with unified communication, Zoom. I mean, Zoom is a verb just like Xerox and FedEx, right? It's also the name of a company. And I, I would dare say that of all the people in the business world a year ago, somebody would have said, do you know who Zoom is or what Zoom is? I think the answer might have been no in the majority of the cases. And I think the answer now would be overwhelmingly yes. Yeah, that segment was brought to you by Zoom. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, they, they send me money to my mailbox. I didn't, I didn't get that check, but I'll take some. It'd be great. Yeah, but no, you're go. right. So I, I'll tell you, it's interesting. I, I never used to want to uh, get on these video conferences, but since then, I hate just talking on the phone. I've never liked talking on the phone anyway, but like, but getting on the video piece feels way more natural now since you don't have that kind of interaction. Uh, it, you know, as you automate process, though, I don't know how you're doing it over a Zoom, though. I, I don't know how that's, I mean, I don't know how, it was pretty tough to do, like, let's say we're using offshore teams before, which would involve some recording and stuff. Have you seen that change at all from a, 
from you know just an execution of, of of recording a process and learning how to automate it well you know that that's a great question because of course the trepidation on our side uh, you know in march i guess would be about the time when we began to feel the trepidation most dramatically oh my gosh, how on the wor- in the world are we going to function? How are we going to do our business if it's going to have to be remote? And of course, the thought was it'll be remote for a month or two and then, you know, this will all kind of blow over and you know, we'll be back on airplanes and all that. And that hasn't really come to pass. But when you start, when you develop a PDD and an SDD and then you're going to develop the software remotely anyway, you know, the idea of doing work in India for us um, that was the, where the SDD was developed here and the PDD was developed here that actually is not at all unusual and nothing's really changed there. But to your point, documenting the process, having the conversation, what would normally be an in-person interview, observing an employee doing a function, uh, we've had to learn how to do those in a Zoom-enabled type of an environment. Took some getting used to, but remarkably, and I guess it's a uh, tribute to the adaptability of the human creature, is that we have been able to figure out how to do it. So I, I, we're not overwhelmingly bothered now by the idea of doing our work remotely. And in fact, I would suggest the old normal is indeed that it is the old normal and the new normal, whatever it, shape it takes, will not resemble the old normal. It may be 60% of the old normal, but the idea that everybody in our business has to get on an airplane and fly and observe people doing things in person in order to write a PDD, in order to then develop an SDD, to have someone develop it, the software and, and implement and code the bot, whether that would be locally or, or in a place like Bangalore, we, we think that is not necessarily going to be the case going forward. Yeah, and it, maybe it's, is it is it um, opened any or shed any light? Maybe is the right word to say of of one of the providers or one of the RPA solutions truly being easier to work with than others now that you're it's almost completely not in person. You know, I don't I don't know that I would be able to really point to one of either the sort of the big four, if you want to go and, and include sort of the next tier and go to the top dozen or even 15. I'm not sure you can really say one is much easier to work with than the other. I, I think it would take somebody, certainly from a technical perspective, there might be somebody who wants to make an argument about technical sophistication or you know technical uh, prowess of one of the products. There might be someone else who will say, well, as a user, it's easier to use. As a coder, it's easier to code. I don't know. There's probably some subtlety in there. There are people who make their living um, scoring these things and put out, you know, massive reports that they ask you to pay for. And they'll show you that, you know, company A has a 79 aggregate score. Company B was 82 and company C was 83. You know, I, I don't really, I'm not, I'm not the guy that does that. Um, yeah. I think in large part, uh, there are a lot of capable software products out there, some more capable than others. There's probably tiers, if you will. And the top tier, um, and we can argue about who belongs in there or not, but the top tier, they're all capable products. Yeah, and I would agree with this as well. I just, I would love to have your perspective. I wanted to have your perspective on that because in the beginning, there were certainly differences. And if you back up a few years ago between product A, product B, product C, and then I think they've become uh more consistent across the the capability set. It's just pick your pick your language, pick your do you like process, do you like you know low code, whatever it would be. Uh, but then, if you look at the services side, what distinguishes then the IC automation from the KPMGs, the ENYs, the Accentures of the world? Like how it, so is it is it just relationships or what? What do you how do you guys win? Now that's a, that's a super question. Really, the, the whole subject of differentiation is uh, is is an amazing topic in business, especially in the services business where it's all about differentiation. So, you know, that it's, it, I love this question because if you put us next to two competitors of ours and 
and you want to have a little bit of a fly off and you're the client, you say, okay, guys, do you have a methodology? Oh, yes, we do. Proprietary, amazing. It's been here forever. Okay, everybody's got a methodology. Good. Do we have, you know, sophisticated engineers that are certified? We all have sophisticated engineers that are certified. Some entities like sort of the MBA model, right? They hire a bunch of MBAs. They put them on a bus. They put them with one person who has little hair or gray hair or, or 10, 15 years of experience. And they herd the cats and the MBA cats are smart cats, but they don't have a lot of experience. That's one thing. That's a differentiated business model. That's sort of one model. And then, you know, people like us that are out there, we're kind of the grizzled veterans that have been doing this for a while, um, have people that are probably a bit more experienced, but even at the end of the day, I'm not sure that's a differentiation. So, um, you know, in, in the era of no differentiation, of course, people buy on the sole differentiator, which is price. So I guess what I would say to you about ISG automation is we have um, developed a digital enablement platform. Uh, and some software tools that support that. And we've done that through an acquisition of Neurolify. Uh, Neurolify has a digital learning platform and a code quality analyzer that taken together uh, have anecdotally proven with the clients who have used them and their automation anywhere centric to have produced a 270% output at 43% less time and cost than for a client who has been not using the tools. Wow. So for us, this is a differentiator because this is proprietary software now part of ISG automation that is available only from us. And we can show proof of it having um, done this in the automation anywhere environment. And lastly, I would tell you that if, even if people don't want to believe that, this is just the, the, the comments of somebody at ISG automation, I automation anywhere sells these products in their portfolio of services and products. Directly. It is directly, and it's the only non-automation anywhere product in their portfolio, period. Oh, so wow. we're in the, go ahead. No, I mean, it's, well, I mean, if I think about the life cycle of an RPA adoption, so not only if you're just starting out, if you've, you've been living on a rock for seven years, you're like, hey, maybe, maybe we should look at this now. Uh, you'd be crazy not to find something that's an accelerator, especially with all the endless resources that are out there. If you're struggling, you've plateaued, this can identify a number of ways to accelerate or differences in code or problems with your architecture, et cetera, et cetera. And if you're really killing it, that means you got lots of automation so you don't have time for code reviews or keep up the amount of maintenance, you know, because at some point it plateaus because you can't keep up the maintenance relative to new things. So you need something to accelerate that as well. Uh, I, I got to ask the hard question then, you know, is, is you gonna, am I gonna have to chop off my left arm to get this thing or? <laughs> Is it expensive? Like to tell me, to give me an idea, a sense of cost relative to maybe the RP implementation itself. Well, it, it depends, of course, on, on a lot of things, but it, we, we sell it in an enterprise license environment to a large enterprise that would want to have, um, you know, a, a large number of licenses, both for the code quality analyzer and for the digital learning platform. And you're exactly right. I mean, code reviews is one of the long poles in the tent to determining pace of scale and quality of bots. Uh, the code quality analyzer puts out, enables you to put out bots much faster and takes away one of the more painful processes in code reviews. When you think about a citizen development environment and how do we teach people, how do we give them the ability to become capable and get up to speed and produce good bots, the digital learning platform does exactly that. And it does it at their pace and it has a gaming arena in it. It has a number of things that make it fun. And gamification obviously is, is, is something that we've seen in other places, but we've applied it here as well. 
Uh, we have the appropriate sandbox that goes with it. So, you know, it, it, this, you know you're talking about you know, tens of thousands of dollars. If you get up into an enterprise license, uh, you know, annually, then you're talking about six figures. But the returns are unbelievable when you think about 270% output at 43% of the time cost less. You know, th those are huge numbers. And even if you only get half of that, you know, you'll pay for the tools 10 times over. Uh, scaling has been a big challenge for a lot of clients, a lot of enterprises. This defeats the scaling problem. Embracing and taking citizen development to the right level, this enables that. And that's why, we, I mean, I, I love the simplicity of a digital enablement platform. It's digital and it, enable, it enables people to achieve what they haven't been able to achieve largely. And it's, it's a platform we support. It's our intention to take that platform to both UiPath and Blue Prism, most likely NICE as well, and, and perhaps beyond that. But that's sort of next year's plan is to get that, um, have an, a, a vari variant of the product for those other tools. I mean, that's amazing. So right now, if, so, so I'm clear, if you're automation anywhere, you can use it today. Uh, roadmap over the next six, nine months, whatever year, the next players in the game, uh, UiPath, Blue Prism, NICE. And is this a, you know, kind of a click and install type of thing? How, do, how does it deploy? I mean, without getting too technical, is it fairly easy to adopt? Very easy to adopt. Uh, basic license subscription model, um, SaaS product for the digital learning platform, um, and, and basic license-based model for the code quality analyzer. Um, and and we, we support it with clients uh, who want some help with it. Sometimes they ask us simply to bring the tools and come help them build bots, but just come with your tool belt on. Other times they're like, you know, we're pretty good at building bots. Would you please let us have your tool belt? So we'll allow them to have our tool belt. Never um, give another man your tool belt, Chip. Yeah. Never give another man your tool belt. I'll give someone my tool belt, just, just not another man. It's my tool belt. <laughs> Sorry, we'll cut that part. <laughs> no, we won't cut that. We're going to leave that in. That's excellent. So, Chip, the, the numbers you just 270%, 40% less time, the, the numbers seem almost like if I back up seven years, some of the most ridiculous claims of, you know, those numbers are real. If we back up to when this started, and I know you were there because you had a, you know, Ellsbridge kicked it off. Uh, what are some of those ridiculous things and claims you heard back when RPA was like, you know, going gangbusters from day one, from when UiPath and Automation, anyone of these guys had seven people in the company and they were claiming, <laughs> give me a, give me a few, give us a few morsels. Well, you know, the funny thing is when you go back, I mean, this, this stuff may have just sort of only caught fire, you know, three, five, seven years ago, pick your number, but you know, the, several of these companies were founded 15 and 17 and 18 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in early screen scraping technology, as some of the competitors are fond of, of describing um, their competitors, but it's certainly well beyond that at this point. You know, I think about some of the things I, I remember early in the day, um, several companies saying, you know, we will have an environment in the not too distant future where there'll be a bot for every person. <laughs> so you start to extend that you know, to the business world and you just start to think about given countries or are you extending that to, are we really going to have bots for people in their homes? I mean, I don't know. It, it just seemed, it, it seems it was elegant. It was simple. It was easy to get your head around and yet it was outrageous at the same time. Uh, but, but, you know, we are striving in the business world um, in, in places where it makes sense and where there's the right kind of business scale. We're, we're, we're striving toward that. Um, the idea of having, I, I remember um, one of the CEOs of, of one of the software providers saying that it was his intention to have 10 million employees, but for his mind, an employee was a bot. And so his point was he wanted to have been able to have deployed 10 million bots to do process work for clients. And that, that particular provider is well on their way to doing that. Wow.
And, and to this day, you can hear yet another of the, one of the other ones is probably closest to, uh, you know, maybe having a public event, perhaps. Um, you know, a, a bot for every person is, is, is one of the mantras of their, uh, of their vision and of their market statements. I remember um, in the early years of consulting in the space, and this happened a number of times, where you'd go into uh, kind of a, a workshop meeting with the CFO and the, the one downs and their one downs, and you'd be talking about automation and robotic process. Somebody usually would raise their hand and go, when is the bot coming in? When is the robot coming? And it was always, you saw the look of disappointment when you realized it's software. They're like, oh. Right. They had taken the day and they thought that robot was going to march in there like Terminator. It happened, I mean, at least a dozen times. So I would have liked to have my bot. It never materialized. <laughs> but um, if you look today, Jip, if I shift gears, what is the biggest objections right now that you're seeing in, in the space of, of buying services or moving forward? I mean, are, is, I know people got to renew and they got to do this, but have you hit any headwind? Just if you've seen the industry, I should say, hit, hit a headwind on this quarter, next quarter. Is there still a wait and see? Well, I think it depends on where people are in their experience, right? So the neophyte who um, may, maybe hasn't been asleep for seven years, but for whatever the reason, has not even explored the possibilities of RPA, much less intelligent automation. Their objections, their concerns, their issues are way different than someone who's what we might call bot 3.0. I mean, RPA, they've got RPA coming out the years. They might even have two RPA tools because we've seen the industry move from sort of, I'll pick one. I like the red one. No, no, I'm going to have the red one. And now I want the blue one too. I need a competitive tension. I need a second tool for all kinds of reasons. Uh, those people are, they're well into cognitive, they're, you know, they're, they're on the hyper automation scale, they're, they're way down the road. Their objections, their concerns, their issues are way different. And then there are loads of enterprises in between. Common problems that we see are, you know, it's just not exactly lived up to its hype. It's just not as, you know, we bought 150 licenses, we thought we'd be able to consume them right away, and we have exactly 20 bots. But it's, it's so easy to use, and that's always been the claim, right? Anybody can do it. Anybody can develop. Exactly. Don't you wish it was so simple, right? Like at Christmas, you just pull it out of the box and you turn it on and it works. It, right. it self configures and it just functions. I mean, you're it saying is. it's not, <laughs> I can't even keep a straight face and do it. It's not quite like that. You know, I guess, I mean, you can, you can wonder, I mean, the, the business that we're in, right? The services business and you know, why would services companies like ours exist? They exist because it's not quite as easy as everybody thought it would be. And you really probably don't want to develop a perfectly, you know, capable, scaled uh, entity inside your company to do this because that's not the core business that you're in. What you want is the capability of intelligent automation. You may choose to have an internal capability in a center of excellence, but you would probably want some help to scale. You, you want to get the, the vast majority of what you can get out of the RPA world in the, in the early days as fast as you can get it because it's a competitive advantage. And then in time, you may have COE to maintain it and scale it down. But, you know, we're, we're in the services business. We've had this really good run of five years of explosive growth because it's not so easy. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder sometimes, you know, how stable the actual RPA market is. And, and what I'll say is, at some point, though, couldn't Microsoft just go say, here it is for free? <laughs> And great, just, uh, great, great question. And of course, you know, Microsoft having, uh, having made an acquisition, right? Um, you say to yourself, uh-oh, King Kong has come into the jungle. 
And when King Kong walks through the jungle and just a simple step by King Kong shakes the trees and makes the ground rumble. So, you know, is, is Microsoft King Kong? Should the other animals in the jungle be worried? Uh, now, sometimes King Kong wasn't particularly fast. It's big. And if he got a hold of you, it was a problem because he could tear you apart. Unless you're a blonde, and then you could never hold on to her for some reason. Weird. There's <laughs> yeah. a metaphor in there. I just don't know what it is. Go on. Exactly. So I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, for free. I mean, giving it away for free. I, I, I suppose it's possible. Uh, Google's made a fairly good business of giving their stuff away for free, but it seems to maybe be coming to an end, or there, at least there seems <laughs> to be um, some objection to their model of some type. So, you know, could Microsoft give it away for free? I mean, I suppose anyone who wants to try to disrupt the market could give it away for free. I don't know that that's sustainable. Maybe it is if you have 900 other products and this is just a door opener or it's some sort of a promotional thing. I don't know about long-term free for anything, but um, I, I, I guess we could see. Yeah, the idea being maybe just it would increase their cloud consumption and and that's the play. And and but, but it's interesting because I've always wondered that's like, you know, if this gets too big, so I don't think the, the market's like 60 billion or the cap on it is right now for RPA or whatever the number is, it, it's it's big. But it, it'd be interesting if one of the big players just said, I think we can do this and put it on our platform. And because they're all a lot of them are built on .NET anyway. So it's an interesting topic to have. I, it'll be it'll be a prediction I'm going to make. That Microsoft's going to really disrupt this market uh, with, with either their own technology or buying one of them and then making it so readily and easily available to use. Um, but it is Microsoft, so they'll probably screw that part up as well. So, uh, well, I, you, you, that prediction is probably not the boldest you've ever made. Had you made it two years ago, it might have been more bold. But now that they bought Soft Emotive, uh, it, it perhaps is is uh, is more you know reasonably possible. Uh, but you know what'll be really fun is five years from now looking back at these next five years. Mm -hmm. You know, we think thing, a lot has happened in the last five years when this thing kind of hit the ground and hit it hard and really hit, made some traction and has now become pervasive. Uh, what's the next five years gonna look like? Because we always see compression, you know, five years, the, the last five years will look like sort of the next eight months. <laughs> and then the, the time after that'll be another number of years. So there'll be so much compressed activity that five years from now, we're gonna look back at where we were in 2020 apart from the virus in this space. And we're going to say, gosh, that was prehistoric in its capability. I would agree. And I'll tell you what, I think, I think that's uh, I, I would love to follow up with uh, some of your team and get into the weeds a bit on your, your acquisition or Alify. So I'll, I'll put that out there. And uh, I, I think that would be, I really want to learn how, how, how that technology is doing that. Cause it seems like a no brainer, um, but it seems like that's maybe really the only one in the space or at least the one that's being talked about out there. So, well, we'd welcome that. We, we, yeah. We'd welcome sharing that with you because we, we absolutely believe it's the holy grail. It's, uh, it, it's, it's incredible. I mean, digital enablement is just as, as a concept for anyone trying to use a disruptive piece of technology uh, and use it broadly, right? I mean, it's not like we just have to, have to have two people in every enterprise that understand how this stuff works. If you want to embrace citizen development, you need hundreds, maybe even ultimately thousands across a globe of a, of a very large enterprise. And to do that, you must have some type of digital enablement platform. It can't, not, it can't be non-digital, and it has to be some type of platform so people can reach it easily. And the word enablement is the key. So I, I think it'd be great. We'd, we'd be happy to set that up. And I think it would be worthwhile for um, the, t the people that listen uh, to your, your uh, podcasts and, and whatnot um, to do it. Well, you know, all six people, I think we're up to six now, is, it's going to be great. No, well, I think it could be seven or eight. It, know, it could be nine. We might get 10. You know, the, uh, I will say this, uh, what I like about what you guys, what you, what this technology does, it's just not yet another tool. 
it's something that's going to be integrated with something that's already been bought. And so whenever you start adding a yet another tool in, it just becomes a nightmare and, and just becomes a soup that you never eat, right? So this is great. Um, so I, I, I will absolutely follow up with you on that. The, uh, you know, you made predictions. I, I think it's, it's, it's a good time to give you the shameless plug. I, I just want to, I want to know how do people get a hold of you and, and give, give me the shameless plug and I'll, I'll I, I want to hear it. What is, what is the chip elevator pitch shameless plug section? Well, I guess what I would say to people who might be listening to this who are in, in an enterprise is if you're not looking at um, RPA, certainly, but the whole notion of intelligent automation, I think you're, you're doing yourself a disservice and your company a disservice. And if I really go all the way down to the individual employee level, and I work in a situation where maybe I have a clerical billing type of role and my job has a lot of structured data, a lot of redundant road processes. And maybe the good news for some is I go to work and I know exactly what I need to do. I follow steps one through 100 and I repeat over and over again. And, and, it's, and that's what I do. Um, I, I'm, I'm not really particularly stimulated by some of that work. If I said to that person, hey, we have the ability to remove the 60% of the job you do that's redundant, rote, repetitive, not particularly exciting, and allow you to take on in that 40% the human interaction, take on other pieces of work, and it's not a job reduction program, it's a job enrichment program, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the stuff that's no fun, and I'm gonna just automate that, because the robots actually don't complain, we've studied them, they don't get sick, they don't smoke, they miss no work, they're awesome in that regard. They do consume some electricity, but yeah. apart from that, they're basically uh, trouble-free. Now, they, they will only do what they're taught to be do, to do, so when we change software products that they use, we actually have to go back and adjust, right? So it's not, it's not the, uh, the bot gets programmed once and never, never to be seen or heard from again. They have to be monitored. There's an entire career in intelligent automation for folks going through, kids going through college now and are thinking about, you know, what am I going to do in the future? Well, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be in a business and I'm going to manage bigger teams and I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to do. Well, there's going to be somebody 10 years from now who's going to manage 2,000 digital workers and control rooms and the technology that surrounds it and, and the cognitive technology that goes with it. And they're going to be, that's a job that didn't exist 10 years ago. So I don't know if that's a shameless plug or not. I mean, I guess I can go on for ages. We, you know, we love the space. We love helping our clients and, um, and, and we, we'd love to hear from anyone. Um, ISG-ONE.com. And uh, there you go. So that was that was the shameless plug one liner. <laughs> I was going to get your marketing team like we got to work on him. I mean, just a web address chip, web address. No, thank you. That, that it's a great point, and um, I really appreciate the time. By the way, it, it's uh, it's always great to catch up with you. You know, it's uh, I do miss the the the, the vodka at the bar at the uh, at the conferences that we'd occasionally get to have back in the you know back in those old 2019 travel days but in the uh, days when there were conferences now that's a tough business that's that's a business that the covid virus has hit with a roundhouse punch yeah maybe a follow-up kick to the groin <laughs> so uh but that's okay it, it, you know before it hit them it was hitting delta and marriott as well so <laughs> it's gonna be uh i don't know how you automate that except maybe the flights and the planes i'm not sure i'm gonna get on one anytime soon since they've been sitting around being not being maintained very well so well i'm happy to report i, I guess apart from your maintenance comment i'm happy to report that i have three business trips actually planned between now and the end of the year really um, i'm not sure that's going to be the uh, you know portending a massive return to travel uh, but but I can tell you living in Dallas where American Airlines flies one or two flights a day and it's prime, uh, 
you can clearly see a pickup at the moment, whether we, you know, how long does it take us to return to, uh, you know, the, the, the flight volumes and patterns of a year ago? Um, good question. You see, you know, you certainly see a lot of predictions in Dallas about that because in addition to American Airlines, good old Southwest Airlines is headquartered here as well. Um, and, and I see stories that say it's five years before we'll see the kind of volumes we saw a year ago. Yeah, unless they find a way to return to work safely or with de-risk, um, and everybody else for that matter, where, where the, the mask becomes acceptable and you, you get where you need to go, it's, it's going to be a really long climb. If this, uh, this virus drifts or becomes the next COVID-20 or whatever the sequel is, uh, our responses are going to have to be different, I think, to return to any type of travel and, and see stuff. But I think, I think uh, America's going to drive again, that's for sure. And we're going to go see a whole bunch of stuff around our own countries. And I'm sure that's going to be the same in other countries. Hopefully your borders aren't too small. But uh, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been a fun ride. Uh, Chip, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to catching up uh, with the Neuralify team very soon. My pleasure, Thomas. And I'll be sure that gets connected. That's, uh, that would be terrific. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. And thanks for coming on the AI Nerd uh, AI with Attitude uh, YouTube. Thank you.